Welcome to the Team Packed Podcast with your host, Quinton Pools. We hope to inspire you to think critically and biblically about current issues facing our culture, challenge you to make a difference in your community, and ultimately change the world. Should you be more ambitious? In today's episode, your host, Quentin Cools, sits down with special guest, Isaac Woodward, so you can better understand the nature of ambition and how you should apply ambition in your life. A Georgia native, Isaac Woodward has worked in Washington, D.C. for the last eight years in policy research, political campaigning, and philanthropy management for conservative donors. Over the years, he has found his calling in advocating for international religious liberty, human rights, and a safe and secure Israel. We hope you enjoyed today's conversation. Thanks for joining us. Hey, everybody. It's Quinn, and I'm excited to be uh, at Back to D.C. We're on site at the Leadership Institute in Arlington, Virginia, just outside of D.C. So all of the students just uh, left the classroom and are over um, touring in in Washington, D.C. And I'm joined by our special guest, Isaac Woodward. And so, Isaac, it's great to have you here at Back to D.C. with me to do a podcast. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. I've been a a big fan of Teen Pack for years and of the podcast. Awesome. Yeah, so you uh, were a student. uh, I think we were actually students at the same national convention in 2010, and, you know, you, you had some involvement with Teen Pact over those years, but then, you know, you've done a lot since then. Can you kind of bring us up to speed on where you're at in your life? Yeah, yeah, certainly. Um, so, yeah, I'm originally from uh, Carrollton, Georgia, so grew up in kind of the, the heart of, of Teen Pact country where it was founded by Tim Eccles. Uh, I did the one-day class, uh, Teen Pact Survival, National Conventions, a whole range of these different things, and uh, really had a, a powerful impact on my background and upbringing. Um, after that, I went up to school uh, at Rutgers University and was kind of on track to become a professor of philosophy in the analytic school. Uh, so I picked some advisors and, and thinkers I had up there that I wanted to emulate. And uh, I did find that very interesting, but towards the end of it, uh, I got pulled a bit into the uh, what we call the active life versus the contemplative that uh, philosophers have used to dissect our callings for years. And uh, a lot of that was the teen pack side, I think, you know, sitting in some of these seminars, uh, talking through ideas, which I think are very important and publications need to happen on them and these conferences need to happen and we need to add to the the bricks of knowledge, so to speak, um, uh, in academia. But I felt myself that I, I wanted to get on the implementation side of ideas. And I do really see that's that's where politics and policy comes into it. You know, you have to have the worldview framework, but then the actual execution of what that looks like in the world is what was most attractive to me. So I came down to D.C. Uh, I did a series of fellowships across the conservative world. Happy to talk to people uh, at some point if, if they have interest. I've sampled most of the offerings people okay. can do in the <laughs> fellowship space. Uh, uh-huh. I can tell you who has the best free food and everything. Nice, um, nice. But no, there's a, there's a lot of great opportunities for people out here, um, in particular as you're starting out as a young person. So I took advantage of those and then uh, worked at the American Enterprise Institute and then on Capitol Hill uh, and a series of other uh, spaces across the donor world and the politics world before ending up at the Philos Project, where now I work in Near Eastern Affairs and uh, pro-Israel advocacy. So uh, it's, a, it's a great chance to get to use some of my interests and passion on those subjects and work to help persecuted Christians mm. and also to kind of show uh, the Holy Land to people for the first time on, on trips that I help lead over there as well. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I, what I didn't realize uh, is that um, coming into uh, this topic that you had that whole philosophical, uh, kind of background, 
um, and interest, but there was something about this topic of ambition and how young leaders relate to this idea of ambition that was really compelling to me. And when I thought about you, um, the reason that you came to mind, I think, was because I see that you're very driven in a lot of different areas. And the conversations we had as recently as January about um, just uh, even like working out or building a family or these different things that you're involved in, it seems like you do things on purpose. And so I kind of wanted to get into some conversation about the nature of ambition. You know, it, is it a good thing? Is it a, a negative thing? Is it something that should be harnessed? Is there a moral ought to related to our capacity? You know, all that kind of stuff. So I'd, I'd really love to start with kind of your perspective on on ambition. Is ambition a necessarily a, a good thing? And, and just go from there. Yeah, certainly. Um, yeah, I think it's an important topic. And it's something that occurs to me in, in debates I've had over the years about, you know, many different topics like free markets, um, you know, systems of law and justice and all of these various things. And I think ambition like those, it's important to recognize is a an amoral process, essentially. And I think as Christians, we can hold the, the duality in mind of it being both uh, something that is bodily and physical and that we do in the world, and that means our, our brains and our minds respond, you know, change our neurochemistry in response to our actions, the things we seek after, uh, which particular ambitions we're directing ourselves to. And then there's also the spiritual side, I think, where we try to sanctify what goals we are going towards. So um, I find etymology helpful in these cases to kind of think through what, what these words mean, but ambition goes back to the Latin ambitio, which means essentially like to move around. Uh, you'll think that it's related to ambulatory, which is another word that came into English through that process. So essentially it means to move around. It doesn't tell you where you're moving. Uh, you know, hmm. if you want to be uh, in Hollywood or the music industry or something and you're not controlling yourself or your, your passions or, or what projects you're working on, you could be ambitious and successful in that you're moving around things, but you're also moving around spaces where you're going to be subject to not possibly uh, being true to your values and the things that you're seeking. So uh, Christians, I believe, are called to work in those spaces, but what you're around and what your goals are directed towards, I think, have a large uh, degree of, of impacting how you can actually achieve what you want, but then also, I think, more importantly, the state of your soul at the end of that pursuit. And I think ambition is kind of a dirty word sometimes. Um, but then on the other hand, too, there's a, a new modern development, which I think is mostly positive, of largely secular thinkers and people talking about the need to increase your ambition, raise your, your sights. Uh, in particular, this is spoken often to young men who I think really need this in many cases, particularly outside the Christian world. But uh, I think my own personal view on this is that men just have wider extremes that we swing towards where can have, uh, you know, one end of a bell curve, you might imagine, could be very successful, powerful, impactful men in their community, in their families, in their lives. And on the other extreme, if you go to a community and you see uh, destroyed families, destroyed homes, or, uh, you know, bad industry practices, uh, failures in ministry, whatever you want to see, uh, Nine times out of ten, I often observe it's it's men that were the root of that, and I think that speaks to our our duties and the power that we have, essentially given by God to impact positively in either direction. So, so can I can I play with that for a second? Yeah. So with with men in those scenarios failing to lead or failing to lead properly, um, is that because of the wrong ambition or ambition gone wrong? Like what 
what do you see, how, how is that related to, to their drive to maybe it's drive to be successful or, or, or things like that? Or is it, is it the wrong kind of, you know, end goal? Like, is it that the ambition itself was good? It was just directed in, in kind of the wrong direction. Mm -hmm. How do you see that playing out? Yeah. Well, I think so at the, uh, you know, you might use a, almost a crass term of it. You might think of the slacker end of the distribution where there's an absence of ambition. And you could see that, um, in different communities that we've seen in particular, uh, oftentimes communities affected by things out of their control, like the moving of industry overseas, there's a lack of jobs. You just have welfare around. Um, you had the explosion of this opioid crisis and, you know, uh, obviously chemical inducements can really sap your ambition entirely because it's short circuits your brain's natural pleasure centers and processes and disrupts dopamine. So you're just going to seek that very uh, easy payoff. So that's on the that extreme of it. On the other extreme where people are being successful and outwardly pursuing ambition and goals, um, where it goes awry, I think it's often where it's either, you know, the end goal object is not actually something, you know, that you've uh, tried to sanctify and think through if it's a worthy thing to achieve. Um, or it's that your pursuit of it and your ambition is entirely about filling a void you have in you for status or success um, or you know, any number of things we can seek to try to fill ourselves. And this is something Christians are subject to, too. I, I'll say one of the uh, rude awakenings I had coming to work in D.C. was that I had, because uh, I was formed in this Christian worldview mindset, and then from that, in my perspective, flowed conservative politics because of your, your view of mankind, how we're basically fallen in need of restraints in society and civilization. However, that also means fallen people given power over others, particularly with guns and taxation and regulation, are also subject to turn those same forces of civilization against those beneath them. So it's, it's a cycle you always have mm, to watch for. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I thought that's kind of common sense. It, the, the ideas naturally flow, you know, with my philosophy mindset. Therefore, when I get to DC and I meet people working in uh, Republican politics, especially, I'm going to have this similar like-minded view. And uh, in particularly on Capitol Hill, I, I saw early on that among members of Congress and staffers too, that was definitely not the case. That hmm. People often for cultural reasons or you know, sometimes because everybody in their fraternity at college was Republican. And so that's how they got involved on a campaign. And, you know, in the end, when you have to get good people elected, obviously you don't want to turn people away that don't have a fully formed view of, of why they support you. But that effect definitely colored the culture that I found that to be a really faithful Christian, even in spaces that we might associate as culturally conservative, was not automatic. And I think this was a case where their ambition was much more about self-seeking, uh, about raising their status. Uh, and it really kind of, you know, there, there were good exceptions to that, but it gave me a little bit of a, uh, a check on, on what exactly uh, the reality of the world is. And in particular, too, just there's a, a tawdriness to it that stood out to me that I think Christians should keep in mind. So, so one of the helpful checks maybe on the ambition is just you know, if you're at Teen Pact as a student or you're in college or you're going through and you're evaluating what you want to achieve, try to ask yourself honestly how much of this is my desire to be seen as important and significant to people versus actually doing something important and significant. And there's a few easy ways you can ask that. Like, would I do this action if I knew I could not get credit for it and nobody would know? Uh, and there are members of Congress that do that kind of thing behind the scenes. They'll, they'll get very little credit for work they do. In particular, some of the, the great folks I worked with were on the religious liberty side. And these are members of Congress where their names are not in the headlines. They're not going on uh, television 
every day being asked about things, but they have for years been strong advocates for important issues. So as you're seeking to evaluate your own ambition, ask if it's something that is a passion you know, given to you by God that you want to pursue uh, for his glory. And it's okay if that gives you pleasure and you like the perception of status. That's human nature and you can't pretend like you won't. But ask yourself, would you want to still achieve those things if you knew you couldn't get status and yeah. praise for it? Yeah, that's excellent. I think that's, uh, we could, uh, you know, thank you and good night. That's, <laughs> that's, uh, probably all that needs to be said, but we'll, we'll keep going. Um, no, I, I was talking to a student in our high school group at my local church, um, where I, I lead a, a small youth and parent ministry, um, just this last week. And she was describing their, their drama class, uh, got kicked off and they're doing little women, and the lead role is Joe. And, and should I try out for the lead role? Oh, I don't know. You know, it's 267 lines. And I don't know that I want to, you know, apply myself that much. And, you know, that'd be a lot of late nights, you know, practicing, rehearsing, all this kind of stuff. But inherently, and I don't know if I pick up on this from, from Teen Pact or if this is my own, like, psych- psychological makeup or whatever. But, like, for me, I was like, go for it. Like, you should mm-hmm. you should aim for, like, shoot for the stars. Like, mm-hmm. um, like you should push yourself. Like, even if you don't want to do it, you should do it. Like, and, and so much of our Teen Pact culture is putting young people in positions that are really challenging for them that you, okay, you've never done a whole lot of public speaking. Well, now you're going to give a devotion or a speaker introduction like, Oh, you've never uh, done this. We're going to have you uh, not only speak in front of the students on your bill, but we're going to have you um, also uh, run for office. And like, that was my experience. I was pushed by teen pack staffers to like do more, do more, do more. And so I want to ask this question about ambition. Like if, if there's this, uh, perception of like, hey, there's there's potential, there's opportunity. Should we necessarily pursue that? Like, if I'm in a job um, as I don't know a, a clerk at a grocery store, should I try to become the associate manager of that store? Should I, if I'm you know working at yeah a Starbucks and you know and I'm currently just a, a Starbucks partner, should I aim to be a shift supervisor and like and try to like quote unquote climb the ladder? Like I suppose what you might say, and, and I'll give you a chance to actually answer, but you might say, you know, hey, like if if that particular, you know, ambition is is driven toward a desire to be seen as you know, status as, you know, oh, I'm a manager now or, or seeing that, oh, I, I made progress each of the, you know, five years that I was in this job. Maybe that's kind of a, a false way of going about it. But it, but it seems like there's also like this growth and this like, especially for us as young people, like there's a need to be stretching those muscles and like discovering. And I feel like ambition has, has a big part to play in that. So talk me through that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's a good question. I think, I think, uh, because of maybe it's a slightly pessimistic view of human nature, but I think it's an accurate one. Um, and I'll just nod to a framework that I also find helpful that I believe is in line with the Christian worldview. Uh, one of my favorite economists and philosophers is a guy named Thomas Sowell, who teaches out at Stanford University and uh, has been, I think, one of the strongest advocates for sound uh, conservative economic policy and also just frameworks of how to think through history issues of racial equity and all of that. Anyway, he has a book called Conflict Divisions, and he breaks down, broadly speaking, uh, the progressive view, uh, which tends to be secular, atheistic, going back to thinkers like Rousseau, and the Christian worldview. 
uh, he doesn't call it Christian. He's got a complex relationship, I think, with God, but it's, it's basically what's in line with the conservative view. And he calls uh, one the uh, unconstrained view of life and the other one uh, the tragic view of life. And this is what he essentially would call the conservative one. And I think there's some, a truth to that because we need to recognize a bittersweetness that is going to pervade reality, I think, that uh, this side of heaven, there's always going to be our experience of, of limitations coupled with joy and pleasure and all these amazing things. But I think sometimes even in the height of that, we feel that kind of longing that C.S. Lewis captures well in some of his writings for something slightly more, something higher. I think that's God-given to say, basically, don't expect full fulfillment now with what you have outside of me and myself um, as God speaking. So to answer that question about ambition directly, I think if you have the desire, say you're the store clerk, and you don't have a desire to do more or you do have a desire to do more, I would check your motives for both of those. Do you want to do more so that you can have the name badge that says that, so you can tell people what to do, uh, or because you dislike the leadership? Um, or if you don't want to do it, is that because you're just complacent or you're nervous about failing or nervous about being rejected if you try to advance? Because um, I think just because we are fallen creatures, it's rare uh, that I've seen at least that you're, you know, you're in that state and you want to advance or you want to not advance, and it's an entirely pure motive. So again, it's not to say don't move in a certain direction until you think you're uh, without any possible, you know, self-regard in the thing you want to do. But I think sometimes people can on the, um, I might frame it the, uh, the, the stasis side of things, the person who doesn't want to advance, they might frame it as humility and contentment. Mm -hmm. uh, and there can be some parts of that. A lot of that's yeah. temperamental, but it can also just be fear driven. And then I've seen that too on the other side where, uh, super driven people are directed towards that. So I'd say you have to, which either direction that you feel as your gut impulse, just check that against, you know, what is, is possibly the truth of the matter mm -hmm. that God would want you to do. But I would say broadly, I think the lack more so that I see is pursuing that ambition or maybe cultivating that ambition. Um, I think it doesn't have to mean that you have this eager desire to like get there and grab the thing and, and, uh, you know, at all costs, uh, achieve an objective. That might be a, a stereotype of what ambition is. But it means, do you think, you should ask yourself, do I think there is something I could do here that could be worthwhile, that could help the particular area I'm called to, to be in to be slightly better than it is now? Do I think it would do any harm to my soul to pursue that or to achieve mm -hmm. it? Uh, another thing, too, you could ask is, do I think I'm mature enough, uh, you know, to to enjoy that position of leadership? Because... It's sad that sometimes people's lesser flaws are only given uh, full expression when they're in a place where their their vices could grow, essentially, you know, for lack of accountability or uh, power over their other people. So it's definitely not an unmixed blessing to succeed. But I think if you don't have a desire to do that and do more, uh, you should ask yourself why, because it either means maybe you're not cultivating gifts that you could develop such that you are the type of person that could impact the higher level. Um, or you have fear of something holding you back quite often. Yeah, I heard in a Patrick Lencioni book on leadership and teamwork about this, uh, this illustration that he gave of a company that promoted a, one of their best salespeople to head of sales, and they were a terrible manager. And so they said, we, we have, uh, we have, we lost our best salesperson and we lost, lost our best head of sales because this person was actually really well equipped to do this other thing, but because of some sort of 
level of, um, you know, I don't know, corporate, corporate, uh, views of, of how you should promote people and, and, you know, whatever that they were willing to put somebody in a position that, that they actually weren't well suited in. And the person actually really enjoyed sliding back into that old position. And so I think about that in terms of like, if, if I'm, you know, working for a law firm and it's been six, eight, 10 years, like, oh, I want to be a partner at this law firm. Like I want, I want the status of that, or I want the pay of that or whatever. Um, I, I see with the way that you're like setting up these different questions, you know, there, there'd be the opportunity to jump to a different law firm. There'd be a chance mm-hmm. to just continue at this one. And I can see where like you could easily make a decision and maybe a, a rather rash one that would promote kind of yourself. It'd be, it'd look great on your LinkedIn bio or whatever. Um, but you might like miss kind of the most important things about what that ambition is meant to do. Cause it seems like, you know, going back to your earliest note on this is that it's, Hey, can I do, can I do good? Can I do this thing regardless of whether I get the credit and I'm seen for it? Can I do this good? And so what I want to focus that on is for young people, there's, uh, there's always going to be more opportunities out there. And so how do you start to like discover your capacity, keep pushing yourself, but not to the point that you're, you know, that you're, that it's harmful to your soul. Mm. Because, you know, if I'm interested at age 18 or 20 in getting into, um, I don't know, let, let's say, I, you know, I have a, I have a couple friends who do, um, in, uh, appliance installations right now. And so you can make pretty good money, uh, you know, with a contract through Lowe's or Home Depot of installing people's appliances. Um, but if you were to do night school and work on some electrical uh, certifications, you could do better. Um, you could do better if you actually pursued uh, an electrical engineering degree and advanced degrees and so forth. Like there, there's always the next thing and there's greater potential to be pursued. So I'm kind of interested in, should you do that? Like if you have the capacity and like you have those leadership skills or you have those hard skills or soft skills, like if you have uh, the desire to provide for a family that's going to be growing, et cetera, et cetera, like to what degree should you be driven and push Mm -hmm. for it? Because you pointed out like some of that has to do with temperament, but some of that has to do with belief and just like actual push and grit and drive and like, all right, like do the thing. Um, so where, where do you fall on that? Do you think that like, like everyone should be pursuing that next thing in their career or family or church or whatever? Or do you think that it really comes down to each individual decision? Yes, no, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I think, I think that's a great question. Um, I think it, it is very individual based, but I think you need to be advancing in some area of your life. And so we could maybe look at someone's resume um, and I can even think of people I know on Capitol Hill or something else where they've been in a certain role uh, for one length of time and somebody else might have advanced quicker throughout, uh, you know, to maybe be a chief of staff now, where, whereas maybe the other person is just a legislative director. Yeah. But I know often cases, too, when it's somebody that uh, you, you know about their personal life a bit that have sacrificed a ton in, I think, you know, other important sanctified spheres of life with their family or even maybe trying to pursue a family. Uh, a lot of people will be in singleness for a longer time based on that you know, the, just the amount of hours and stuff you have away. So that doesn't mean it's always the wrong decision or unhealthy, but you need to check and, and ask God, I think, why, you know, is it in line with your will that I'm 
putting off this other part of my life for this period of time to get to this position. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Um, I definitely know people that the status drive, they feel much stronger than the desire to cultivate a family. And I think that's something they have to to check and ask within themselves. Um, So I think you need to be advancing in some domain of your life. So maybe if that means you're in the same career stage for a while, what are you doing extra at your church or in your community or in your family? Uh, if you're homeschooling, you know, or the is is some of the extra energy you might direct towards the career uh, used in, if, say, if you're in the male case, um, getting home a little bit early and helping out with the homeschooling lesson and doing some creative exercise or taking some time off work to do a field trip. You know, there's all all these good reasons that could potentially subtract from the ability to just get to the next career spot as quickly as possible. But you have to be advancing to some extent, and uh, it stands out to me. You mentioned earlier about our conversations in fitness that I think, I think we're like this as people, that you don't really ever stay in the same place. You either advance or you atrophy. Uh, I think, again... When it comes to fitness, I'm in the atrophy category. <laughs> just <laughs> well, not full by, disclosure. Not by appearances. I, th- I think you're doing all right. But I think uh, it, it's easy to imagine that you could just stay and maintain a certain position. Uh, and I've seen this in my own personal case. I've been going to the same gym out here for a while probably since 2015 or so. Uh, and there will be people that look exactly the same for years and years uh, in ways that you could dissect medically are not ways that they should appear, to put it politely, essentially. Okay. <laughs> um, and you know, there's, there's different reasons for that, but I think they should ask themselves why exactly that is. What are they not doing that they could be doing? Um, and so when I encourage people, I've had friends that have, have coached a little bit and got into fitness and weightlifting in particular, and what I always tell them is it doesn't matter at all like what weight you put on the bar or the number of push-ups you do what matters is did you reach the point of pain and and close to failure meaning that you've done what you could and then are you gradually over time able to advance to a certain position and maybe you hit a plateau and you're not going to advance the weight anymore so what you're going to do is uh increase the number of reps that you do or vary you know the spacing of your feet if it's something like a deadlift like there's all these tiny tiny tweaks you can do to make sure that you're not staying in the same place because the muscle will atrophy eventually um, and kind of decline if you're not moving in a certain direction forward. And I think we're the same way in our personal lives, that if people are just static for that long period of time, I think it's very rare that that's just because they have this, you know, Zen-like peace and contentment (laughs) from God about the position that they're in. Uh, There's probably something that God's asking them to do that's a little bit more. Maybe that's more charitable work uh, or mentorship or something if you're in a position where you now feel like you've learned a lot of those things. So I think uh, the absence of ambition would also give me concern uh, just as the, you know, excessive outward show of ambition would. Yeah, that's really good. I heard the phrase um, look left. Basically, if you're on the spectrum of, you know, people um, who don't know Jesus to people who have been walking with Jesus for a long period of time, um, wherever you're at on that journey, look to the person to your left and help them move Mm. forward. And I like that you're kind of landing there when it comes to our conversation of ambition, because it's not necessarily that if, you know, if you're a 30 year old, 40 year old, 50 year old, whatever, and you're pretty satisfied with the job that you have, with the pay that you have, whatever, it's not that we're telling you, no, you should become the vice president of your company. Like you should, you should, instead of being the chief of staff, like for, you know, this office, you should, you should try to work for the white house. You should, you know, whatever the next thing may be. But what we are saying is, 
like ambition is like meant to be like a helpful tool to drive toward those, those good, good things that the Lord ultimately calls us to. And maybe that's just being more generous and giving, or maybe that's in mentoring, but there's some way that we're supposed to be growing those sorts of things. And so as we kind of come to uh, a close on, on this time, I wanted to reflect just briefly on Philippians 1 17, um, where it talks about how people would proclaim Christ for the wrong reasons. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict Paul, me in my imprisonment. And then that same word ambition is used in 1 Thessalonians 4.11, and he says to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you. So there's this aspiration that we should have and as believers, that aspiration ultimately is this, this sanctified desire, which you were talking about earlier. And so I think that wherever you're, you find yourself as you're listening to the Team Pack podcast, we'd encourage you to, to really consider, like, where am I currently showing ambition? And is that something that's good? And should I continue to do that? And where should I have ambition that maybe I don't? And maybe there's a time to reflect on things that God might be calling you to, to push for, to, to kind of pursue. And of course, there's the wisdom of his word and prayer and mentors and counselors and so forth that we can have access to, but it's a, it's a worthy consideration. So Mm -hmm. Isaac, as we wrap up our time, um, you've, you've done a lot of great work in the spaces of leadership and, uh, and, and stuff that we're doing here in Washington, DC, you work with the Philos project. I'd love for our listeners just to hear, a 30 or 60 second snapshot, just kind of of what you do and maybe ways that they could get involved in that if they're interested. Yeah, certainly. So uh, I work for a group called the Philos Project. I'm based out of New York and with a DC office down here with me and some other staff and scholars. Uh, Broadly speaking, Philos is a Christian organization that seeks to equip young leaders to positively impact the Near East from specifically a Christian worldview. Uh, So our area of focus is uh, Israel, and then you can imagine a a semicircle of the country stretching out around it there. So uh, the Near East term is obviously just referring to the part of the Middle East closest to Europe and and the Western area. And it's really the the bedrock of the Christian faith. There's still a lot of uh, Semitic and other Christian communities that exist there that we try to reconnect with and uh, do fact-finding trips to get Western believers acquainted with. But really our goal in doing that is to make sure that we can have a, a reawakened dialogue between Eastern and Western Christianity, uh, compare, contrast, and see you know, where our brothers and sisters maybe have kept things closer to Christ than we have, and then maybe vice versa, where aspects of the culture there, the, the legacy and the history of being under Islamic rule for centuries, how that's impacted things. Uh, and then in particular, too, we, we're, uh, we look to be a friend to the state of Israel. Uh, so we take philos from the Greek, meaning friend. We believe it's a uh, strategic uh, and ethically sound idea to, for them to have a secure existence in the region. Uh, and we also think we can gain a lot from understanding how their model as a pluralistic country, composed of Jews, Muslims, and Christians, exists in that part of the world and is the only such examples. Right. We've worked to try to help cultivate um, ideas like that in the neighboring countries, which will both help lessen Christian persecution, since all of the Christian communities are minorities there without political power, um, and then also just allow for a better flourishing society. So in my particular role, I help lead uh, our fact-finding trips we do to Israel twice a year called the Philos Leadership Institute, and also help tell people about our online courses we have available for free called Pathfinder. So if you search uh, the Philos Project, you'll see the banner on there for our Pathfinder courses. You can select from nine different topics, 
uh, ranging from Lebanon, Islam, history of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. You can sign up and take those completely free of charge, taught by world-round ex experts in those particular fields. And uh, for folks in the young leaders category, um, you can think maybe 18 to 35 or so, you can take uh, the five core courses, and if you graduate, you have a chance to apply for our uh, fully funded academic retreats we do in the U.S., and then these trips abroad I mentioned as well. So the exciting part is if people want to go deeper beyond those courses, uh, we have uh, funding for free opportunities for their leadership development in the region itself later on. That's awesome. So if, uh, if those things are of interest to you or kind of uh, are new things to explore and you're listening to the Team Pack podcast, we'd love for you to check out uh, the Philos Project and some of those Pathfinder courses. Isaac, it's been great talking to you about ambition and leadership and just kind of the decisions that we make uh, all throughout our lives, but especially here in, in, uh, as, young, as young leaders. So um, certainly would love to see you in the future at, at additional Team Pact events. I think we're already teeing some of those up mm -hmm. and then uh, hopefully on the podcast again too. Yeah, my pleasure. It's, it's been great to uh, go over this topic and also reconnect with a fellow alumni from, uh, from years back. So for those of you younger, you'll have this fun experience. P people you go through in Teen Pact, you might see years down the line, and, and it's cool to see how God's worked in, in our lives since then. So thanks so much. Yeah. All right. See you, everybody. Thank you for joining us for this special edition of the Teen Pact podcast. Have any questions about today's episode? Send us an email at communications at teampact.com. Or you can visit our website for more information about our programs and state classes.